Hi, I'm Anna Rosa Parker. And I'm Daniel Lamb, and this is Artist Inclusive, the podcast for ambitious artists who want to find clarity, community, and creative success. Okay, Anna, today, as you know, is going to be a little different when you bring puppets into the mix. Anything goes. And so it is with our conversation with David Stevens. Yeah, I mean, I just, he's such a jolly guy. He's such a happy, fun, he just loved hanging out with us. And I just so appreciate his energy and just his persona and outlook. I don't know, he, he, he I kind of smiled throughout the whole thing. So why don't we just, do you just want to dive into it? Yeah. All right, guys, here's David Stevens. David, thank you so much for hopping on with us today at the Artist Inclusive Podcast. We're super stoked to talk to you. Welcome. Well, I'm really glad that you guys asked me to do this. I hope it'll be fun for you guys. Well, it's going to yeah. be fun for us. I have a good feeling about this one. So I have to start it out with a story about how I know David because we know each other in real life. I used to be a bartender back in my back in my youth, and David was one of the regulars that would come in for lunch or dinner. And he was just like the guy in the neighborhood. And I first knew David as just this nice person that I was interacting with. And I would see him walking his dog around the neighborhood because I was li- we lived in the same neighborhood. Before I knew that he was an amazing musician and a puppeteer, we were just like in each other's worlds like that. And we go way back, I guess, probably to like 2010, 2011-ish. Yeah, that's Long. when I lived over there in, in Ponce Highland. Yeah, right behind yeah. Manuel's Tavern. I rented one of their houses back when they had rental properties, which was always dangerous because Manuel's was one of my favorite places before I lived in that neighborhood. So you're it paying rent that, to uh, the people who own the bar that you also like right. to go to. They just got yeah. my rent money in all kinds of ways. <laughs> yeah, they they get you coming and going, don't they? That's right. Well, yeah, so for listeners who, who haven't met you, don't know about you. Can you talk a little bit about your background and your story? Like, first of all, when did you start playing music? And then how'd you get into puppetry? So the, the puppets came first in, in my journey here. I was a big Muppet fan as a kid. I started watching the Muppets on television like a lot of kids as a toddler. Something about them just really sparked my imagination. And uh, I, they became an obsession. And it was, I, it was one of those things like I could not get enough of them. So it, it turned into a hobby. I started to figure out how to make my own puppets and performing with puppets. And then that sort of just grew into a career. It was a very organic process. And then the music came in when I was in college. I had been hanging around a coffee shop that was near where I grew up in South Alabama right after I graduated high school. And there were Fairhope, Alabama was where the coffee shop was, which was this kind of like hub for musicians who were coming from northeast and west, all heading south of Florida. So we'd get guys from Nashville and New Orleans and local guys right there in the neighborhood who were great singer-songwriters. And so that sort of like set me on fire to like learn the guitar and started writing songs. And then about a year after I started playing guitar, the banjo came in the picture because I'd listened to a lot of Pete Seeger and we just got the sort of buzz to, to get into the banjo all these years later. And I'm still doing all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So coming back up a little bit, you, you mentioned that you learned how to make puppets and it was organic. How? What was the process of like figuring out how to make your first puppet? Oh, wow. There was a, a lady who lived next door to us. Her name was Elsie Lipscomb and she was a seamstress. And so I had a company made professional puppet that I sort of I took over to her since she knew how to sew. 
And we kind of figured out a rough way to make a Muppet-style moving mouth puppet that wasn't the same, but this puppet, the company puppet was made out of foam rubber and all these sort of industrial materials and everything, and we just we used whatever we could get at the fabric store. So they weren't glamorous by any stretch of the imagination, but it was that leap of I couldn't find anything commercially that matched what I had in my head. So it was a way of learning how to get ideas and concepts for characters and puppets that only existed in my imagination, figuring out how to get them designed on paper and then as a three-dimensional puppet. And that's part of the process I love a lot. It is that whole, like, I can think of it and I can visualize it and then I can make it in three dimensions. Well, one of the questions that I thought of also when we were you accepted to come on was about that. You know, when you make the puppets, do you, like, create the character before or do you create the character after puppet has come to life and, you know, physically? It happens in all kinds of ways. Like, there's no real one-size-fits-all way about it. Sometimes you do go in with a very sort of hard concept for what the character is or what the dynamic of the characters, if there are more than one, what how they play off each other or what his character type is. And sometimes you, you have a preconceived idea of what the voice will be. And sometimes all that can change while you're building the thing. Since I, I'm a performer and a builder, all of that feeds into itself. So while I'm building the puppet, the character's forming, the voice is forming. So all of that can evolve and change from the time I begin to conceive the puppet to, to building it and then into performing it. And then sometimes you, it goes a completely different direction. It just it really, that's the great thing about it is, is if you can be that open to what the character it sounds a little hooey dooey, but it's like you are, you're, you're, it's like, you're open enough to the character to allow it to make some decisions as much as you're deciding things for it. So it's a real conversation. Writing a play and the characters become, you know, they take on a life on their own sometimes. That's right. And they have their own unique voice and they, they'll tell you what they want to say if, you, if you're if you open enough to let them say it. It's really cool that you say that because I've, I've talked to a lot of fiction writers and that's something that they say as well. It's like, you know, you sit down to, to write a character and they may not do what you want them to do or do what you expect them to do. <laughs> so it's like, it's a really cool, it's really cool to hear that, that it's kind of similar in your practice as well. And do you find that when you're writing a character, conceptually, you think it's a character you'll like, and then the more you get into it, they become a character you don't like. Does that yeah. happen? Yeah. And yeah. can, I like the bad ones will show up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think those are, those are interesting types of mirrors too. You know, like a lot of times yeah. I don't like a character. It's usually because I, I'm in conflict. There's probably something about my personality that shows up that I don't really like. And, and then it's there and it's irritating as shit. And it's really funny. Yeah. And it can just take on if you're listening to all kinds of whatever is around you or inspired by it gets influenced by that too. Right. Your outer world. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. So you mentioned that it grew into a career. Was there a point for you where it was, where it just clicked and you were like, okay, this is, this is my career and this is going to be my career? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a gradual process and that when I was in college, I was also doing, uh, page shows during the summers. I would do summer reading programs and that was kind of the beginning of, of a client list, if you will. Like that was the beginnings of my getting paid to do puppet shows. So. By the, when I was in college, I was already doing that. So by the time I graduated, I went to graduate school at the University of Connecticut and got a master's in puppet arts there. And I did that in three semesters. So by the end of my third semester, I had my diploma 
and I hit the ground. I, I went back to Alabama. I, I sort of saw this opening because there were no puppeteers of any kind in South Alabama, really, where I grew up. I thought, well, this is this art, this market's wide open to me. But I also was 20 whatever and realized that I kind of missed a more metropolitan area. And I was also starting to do a lot of work with the Center for Puppetry Arts, which is located here in Midtown Atlanta. And so I began to do more and more work with them, which was an impetus for me to relocate from Alabama to Atlanta. So there was a brief period, I guess, of about nine months or so where I worked retail, paying off college loans and all that stuff. But I really have not had another job, for better or worse. And now that I've been doing this for over 20 years, it's kind of like if I had to get a job, oh, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So you never had to think about like, what am I going to do when I grow up? You get to do what you love to do. And it, you've been blessed to get the to get the work and create your own work, I'm sure, too. And that's because I had that experience and not the experience that a lot of people have of trying to figure that out. I sort of had this laser pinpoint focus on what it was I wanted to do. But I also wonder, it's like, what was I not open to or receptive to because I had that laser beam so sharply focused on this one thing that I wanted to do. So I I think it's worked out for me. I don't necessarily think I missed out on much, but I I wonder that sometimes what, what I did because I... I, I didn't go where the road took me or, you know, whatever. I wasn't open to the universe or at large or whatever. I was like, this is it. This is where I'm going. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good, too, to have one strong focus. When we have a few different ones, We it, it's there are a lot of detours. So you might not <laughs> get there until very, very late or, you know what I mean? Well, and then there are plenty of things that happen like what we all just experienced last year where you have that focus and you're on that path and then suddenly something beyond your control completely just affects every part of what you do. There, there were a lot of folks who were lucky enough to be able to work remotely or keep employed or whatever, but it was there were a lot of us creative types that were gritting our teeth and going, what are we going to do? What did you do in the pandemic? <laughs> Afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I got, there, there were a few things that saved me, actually. The Center for Puppetry Arts decided to hire part of what I am as a touring puppeteer so I basically have show will travel. I go to a school, a library, a theater venue, and all my shows are the same setup. So I use the same puppet stage, basic puppet stage, and have about six or seven different shows that I can do from that one setup that are all different characters. They're folk and fairy tale based. So I can do a number, any of the, any of the stable of shows that I have, I can do that single stage. So because of that, they, they, the center hired me to do live streams of my shows. So they hosted a 16 week stint of my puppet shows. So we'd have a different show every two weeks. They would rotate them out. And so that really saved my butt being able to do those. And then when they were gradually opening things up to the general public, I was the puppeteer that they had to be there the, in person because it was easier for them to sort of have me come in as a single performer, solo performer. So there were a number of things like that that were, and just the generosity of people who were wanting to donate, wanting to help in wh- whatever ways they could. That and Etsy sales, because I also make puppets and sell them in my Etsy store. So <laughs> plug. <laughs> well, that's that's right. We saw some, you showed us some in the community and artists inclusive. Yeah, we'll definitely put the link to your store in the show notes because the puppets you're, you're making are just phenomenal. Well, thanks. Thanks. And it's sort of all part of the same, well, the music and the puppets and it's all, I realized that at one point that it's all just connected to storytelling at large. Like that's the bigger sort of pictures. 
is just telling telling different stories and using different tools to tell stories. Here's a bit of a side note or, or, or a redirect. For people who might be interested in puppetry as an art form, what's one thing that most people don't know about the puppetry world that they should know? Oh, wow. I, I think people don't realize how old a form it is, that it really is an ancient form uh, of, of storytelling of interacting with people. And, it, and it's sort of, it has richer histories in other cultures than it does in the American culture. In America, we sort of have a very finite view of the puppet as a children's form of entertainment or the Muppets. Nothing has ever really achieved the level of popularity that the Muppets has in American culture. But Europeans, Asian countries, they have a much, much richer puppet history because they're older countries for one thing but it's just amazing to delve into some of that history and realize how old those those particular those puppet cultures are and how unique they are to all of those cultures and here we're sort of like you know we have some of a little bit of all of that but really what most people know here are the muppets which is fine but there's a deeper world to be explored in puppet puppet yeah i was thinking that it it does is i don't know much about it other than just it, it also feels like an old world art. And and then I thought, what does it look like today? Who is studying puppetry today? And, and what does that look like? The kids that are coming out of puppetry school or majoring in puppetry? Or... I feel like for me, I fall in a tradition of touring puppeteers, touring puppet artists who made their living going from place to place, venue to venue. And you can trace that back to the old Punch and Judy professors in England or, or even before that, the, the, the shadow puppeteers who that they were considered like shaman in those cultures when they would do those shadow puppet shows that would last all night for three nights or whatever. It's like, so I, I feel like that's where I fit in that culture. I don't know how many folks that are coming into puppetry are necessarily coming in from that aspect of the, the single puppeteer, solo, small puppet troupe. There are puppet designers. There are certainly a lot of puppet artists who are doing, it seems like more adult things to me now than necessarily things geared toward children or toward children. There, there are a few, there are a few of us. Yeah, I'm not really sure what the modern, as you, if you will, landscape looks like. Part of it is just, I do family shows and that's, I sort of get, I'm a member of what's called the Puppeteers of America, which if anybody is really gung-ho about figuring out more about puppet theater, puppet, the Puppeteers of America is a great organization to join. A membership will get you a quarterly magazine, which is chock full of pictures of, and stories about what's going on in puppet theater in America and sort of all over the world, too. So it, it's a really good sort of look at what's going on here in puppet theater. There's quite a bit in metropolitan areas. You know, in New York, there's a lot that happens. In L.A., there's a lot that happens. And in Atlanta, there's a good bit that happens, too. Chicago is also a big hub. So those those seem to be the major puppet metropolises. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, and then there's Sesame Street. You were on Sesame Street, too, correct? I did. I briefly worked there. I worked uh, a season, I think it was season 39, back in 2008. I worked two episodes, which I worked four days. My illustrious four-day career at Sesame Street, I, I did a couple of background characters. I was a cow and an anything Muppet. But yeah, they shoot in New York and Queens, Kaufman Astoria Studios. And it's that's one of those magical experiences that when you go to a place like that, especially Sesame Street, that's ingrained in all of our minds for the most part. It's just like reverting back to your childhood. You walk right there, Superstore, and there's the brownstone and Oscar's trash can, and it's like you're five years old again. 
And it was really great because you're working with industry professionals and these people are at the top of their game and, and have been doing this show, a lot of them, for over 15, 20 years. So you're getting to work with veteran people who are exceedingly good. And to work at that level is, is pretty phenomenal. When you, when you get to, that's when you really get to play, you know, when you feel like you're with, you know, sometimes if you're working with folks that are a little less or a little better or whatever, there's a, there's a push and a pull and sometimes there's friction there. But when you're at that level, it's just sort of this great, everybody, I don't know, it's just, just everybody supports. Yeah. As you mentioned, you've, you've done a lot of different things artistically. You know, you've been in a lot of different spaces as a puppeteer. Exactly. And you're in it for the long haul. For you, like, how important is your mindset? And like, how do you like look at the concept of success? Oh man, that's a, that's a tough one because I keep having to adjust it, I guess. I, because I think we all have sort of preconceived notions about what success looks like, so especially at different times in your life. I think when you're in your 20s or whatever, there's a level of a success that you hope to achieve. And I think when you're in that that age, you're sort of like, you realize that you're not there yet and that you'll get there. And then I'm in my 40s now. I'm kind of not really financially better off than I necessarily was in my 20s or 30s. And I, I think that's one sort of notion I have to constantly adjust is like, that's not necessarily what success means. It would be nice if, if there was more financial success attached to it. But I think a lot of things that happen in the creative world, they fluctuate. They come in waves. So you have a real high points and sometimes you can have really, really low points. And it's just knowing how to get through and staying on course to get through and survive those low points because the, the, the Mandela will go around. Yeah, it's easy to like enjoy the work when things are great, but not a lot of people are are showing up and talking about like getting through those harder times and what has helped you like get through some of your struggles. Therapy helps a lot. (laughs) That's the best money I spend is, is seeing a therapist on the regular because it really helps me to have something that's routine every week. And that's unique to me. Like, I, I like to have something that's routine. Like I probably would do better in just a regular old job job that I went to every day and had some structure because for me, a lot of things that I struggle with are self-motivation and, and, and staying motivated and going down and working every day and then doing something because it's easy for me to slip into a mindset of like, well, I don't have to do it today or it doesn't have to get done till later or there's no big deal today. It's like I just to keep on task sometimes can be difficult for me. So having somebody to, that I can go and talk to and talk through all of the, the stuff that I go through on a, on a weekly, mostly basis has is, is been very beneficial to me just because it's you know, somebody I can talk to. And I have creative friends that I talk to as well, which also helps, who also deal with the same struggles. I have a friend who is a puppet builder here in Atlanta, and he works at the Center for Puppetry Arts, and he's a nine-to-fiver. That's his job. And we go back and forth, each thinking the grass is greener on the other side. He has the structure of the regular job in the arts institution with the paycheck and the salary and the benefits and all this kind of stuff. And he is envious of the independence that I have and that the work that I make is mine and I have sole ownership of it. And I have the freedom to be able to do the things that I want to do and the projects I want to take. Whereas he's locked into the restraints of what he sees in our confines in his work situation. Whereas I look at what he has as completely stable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a little bit of that stability can go a long way when you haven't had it for a while. So 
it's interesting that we'll have those those discussions about who has it better. Yeah, I think that's just a valid point in the arts. Some people go into can find some kind of a job like that or academia or, you know, that does give you uh, more of a staple living and, and, and finance and all that. And then when you have that freedom, like you said, you struggle with the a little bit of the, the motivation or, you know, creating your own routine that is sustainable and long lasting. And, and maybe sometimes when creative person does that, find something and then it changes all the time. That's also that you have to be so adaptable in a way and, and willing to jump to a, to a different routine. Right. And I think what I've learned over the landscape of both of those things, whether you're the freelancer or the, the, the person who works in the institution is this, there are politics everywhere. In, in, internal politics will will is, are just they they run rampant. So I think he struggles with them on a more consistent, regular basis than I, than I do. But I certainly brush up against them. So, but yeah, the motivation is hard. I find the older I get, uh, the harder it is for me to be inspired by stuff, and I really have to struggle and, and work through some of that. Sometimes it'll still just hit me out of the blue, but. I don't find that everything just sort of takes my fancy like it used to when I was younger. And I think when you get older, you keep looking as at, at the work that you're doing and hope you're not repeating yourself or you hope you're not saying the same thing or like I just did. And uh, <laughs> it just becomes more difficult because I think you, the tendency is to overthink it. I think you really want to what you're doing is like, is this valid? Do I need to be saying this? Is this really what I want to be saying? Instead of yeah. just making something and, and figuring it, you know, taking it from there. But just the, the putting it out there is, or the starting would be really difficult. So you mentioned something yeah. really interesting about inspiration. And someone we just talked to earlier today talked about going outside of one's realm of specialty to find material or inspiration stuff to fill your creative cup. Kind of like Julia Cameron talks about in Artist Way about artist states and just going out and like whether that's going to music or museums or shows or whatever it is. Like what do you what do you do to like sort of stimulate your creative brain or feed it? Well, sometimes it's tinkering around in my workshop. Like here recently I started making plush toys, I guess about 2006, I started doing that just for fun because I watched, I think it was one of those HGTV shows where it was a crafter show and somebody made a, a simple two-piece plush. It was two pieces of fabric and it was like they made it like a pillow. And I thought, well, that's cheap. I could, I could do something better than that. So that was the impetus for me to like try to make a plush animal. And then here all these years later, it's still fun for me to do. So I just went down there to my studio and took out some patterns from different plush things I had made over the years, and I just sort of mix-matched them. You know, I just sort of took the body pattern from one and the head pattern from somewhere else and, and just sort of like saw what I came up with. And I came up with these really fun little figures. I call them boondoggles because I like the definition of that word, which means it's a, a pointless endeavor that gives the appearance of having value. Uh, and I thought, well, that's perfect for these. That's exactly what they are. That's so existential. I love it. <laughs> and such a great sounding word too, right? They sound like kids, kids characters. So that was one thing. And then during the pandemic, I started challenging myself to make something, a different kind of puppet every week. And it was just to get me in the studio to make something and to do something with my hands uh, instead of watching television. So I would make a glove puppet and traditional style glove puppet. I made some rod puppets and I tried making some marionettes, which I'm, I'm not so well versed in marionettes or string puppets. And then I had this idea to take some dowels, some wooden dowels and make they a European sort of rod marionette. We call them check marionettes and they have a rod that goes into the head. 
and there's a little toggle bar that allows the feet to move up. And then the strings are all, the hands are also controlled by strings too. But it's really this toggle motion on the control that allows the feet to sort of, to go up and down. And it's kind of, you can't really, it's not a whole lot of control. They're not really terribly lyrical. They're, they're more comic. And so I decided, well, I had all of these prefabricated wooden shapes, wooden dowels, wooden eggs, all these sorts of things that I had just on hand. And I thought, well, I'll put these together in a thing and we'll see what happens. And so I had some macrame cord and I made little, I used the half eggs for feet and the dowel itself (laughs) was the body and the head. And I put a couple of wooden beads for eyes. And the next thing I knew, I had this thing called a doweling and They've exploded. And the next I have, I don't know how many I have down there now, but there's this whole family of the Dowlings that I started making these weekly videos for. And I would find a little stupid piece of music to go with them to underscore uh, whatever it was. And one was a ballerina. And they all had great pun names, too. I, I can't remember what they were. But And then I did Dowling banjos. I did that. <laughs> one, one's playing a banjo and one's playing a guitar. There was a cowboy, and I made a horse out of dowels for for that piece and it just sort of like spawned this whole creative like for me it felt like a renaissance like i hadn't experienced that (laughs) level of like creative explosion since college and i think it was partly i think it was partly coping you know i was you know coping with the situation that seemed pretty untenable at the time but it was also just i also find and i think this is true for a lot of creative people that if you have a limitation and what your the limitation is working within the parameters of that limitation can explode your creativity Absolutely. so that's what it was for me i knew what these things were and i knew kind of how how they were all made and i had this design family if you will and so all of these like prerequisites for the design of what these things were and then I could just work within them. And the pun names help. And so it just became this whole little weird kooky thing that lasted for, I don't know, for a good couple of months. I was just, and I wanted to be in the studio. That was the other thing too. Like when you get in that zone of like wanting to be there and you look at the clock and it's like, oh, wow, I didn't realize I'd been here that long. Yeah. Do you, so it, and you create, can we see those videos? I'm dying to see yeah, this. Yeah, those are all on YouTube. Uh, yeah. You can search YouTube for, my channel is All Hands Productions. Or you can search the Dowlings, D-O-W-E-L-I-N-G-S. Oh, my God. I want to see it right now. <laughs> <laughs> there's a Car- there's Carmen Moran Dowell. She's on there. And <laughs> and that was great, too, because, like, if, you, if you've ever tried to costume, make a costume for a wooden dowel, <laughs> it's uh, I, I nearly impossible. But <laughs> I think ingenuity is one of your strong suits. I remember years back you were working in Saltines and Captain's Wafers these uh, crazy little videos. So, uh, yeah, Adam Lowe and I made these really silly, ridiculous commercials for Manuel's Tavern. They didn't pay us anything, but we just, we did it for fun. And he was a great saltine and I was Crazy Cracker. And Crazy Cracker was a captain's (laughs) wafer. Great saltine was a saltine with a mustache. And and Adam's a great improviser and a great actor. And we just had a hoot coming up with these. Some of them were pretty elaborate by the end. Like, he... But we would shoot these little commercials and they were like, I don't know, a minute and a half or something like that. And then I'd play, I'd make some underscore music. I'd play ukulele and kazoo and underscore it and send all that to Adam and he'd edit it together. And then we'd put it up on Facebook and, and people knew what the special was or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite was the, the, the Olympics and we had, uh, 
crazy cracker girl off the high dive and the high dive was into a pint of beer. I think those are still floating out there too. You can find those somewhere. I'm not sure where, but yeah, you can look yeah. up Manuel's Taverns Crackers. And I made a whole theme song for them. I like that too. I, I wrote the theme song and Adam and I did the theme. Here come those crackers again. One's bad and the other is thin. Okay, we have to look this up. It's, it's funny because, you know, like these big, elaborate show puppets that we see on TV and in movies are, there's so much that goes into that, but you know, getting started and coming up with a creative concept can be as simple as repurposing a pack of crackers. That's, that's really cool. Exactly. Well, it's like Nickelodeon for years had that character stick stickly. That was, he was just a popsicle yes, stick. With I remember Julio. that. I mean, you can have the most elaborate thing that costs tens of thousands of dollars to make, or you can have the complete opposite and it's just as engaging. It can be just as funny. Really, it's what goes into the, the character and what goes into the performance of the thing. So much of that is so important. I mean, you can have a really expensive puppet that is performed terribly and you don't buy into it at all. But if you've got somebody that really knows what they're doing, they can make a, a popsicle stick entertaining. And that's the great thing about puppets. Like, that's really the great thing about puppets. All right. So we have a, a, go- a really cool thing in store for the listeners. David is going to break out his amazing banjo skills before you wrap up today. So before David, before you kick off the songs that you're or the song you're going to play, obviously, we'll put this stuff in the show notes. But how how can people get inside your world because there's a lot of ways to find David Stevens. You want me to get my home address? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> yes. Social security uh, card. So, What's your credit card number? We can process now. My social security card. So <laughs> you can find me at allhandsproductions.com. All Hands Productions also is on Instagram at All Hands Productions and Facebook as well. And then I'm on Facebook as David Stevens. So you can find me there. My music you can find on any of your streaming platforms, Spotify, iTunes, whatever you, you know, whatever name you want to drop. Yeah, so you can find my music there. You can search David Stevens. I've got, I think, four albums, five albums. There's Family Album, Played by the Rules, Far Cry, Postcards from Sadness, and A Year and Some Change, which was about the year I lived in New York. So those albums are out there. I also play with a group in, in Atlanta called the Georgia Mountain String Band, and you can look up those guys on those same media platforms the georgia mountain string band and listen to us there and yeah so i think that covers it <laughs> I, I, I should be better about like there being one place where you can go like all things david stevens are here so maybe if there's a creative web designer out there that <laughs> you know maybe you can't be contained in one box i probably can't that's probably a problem <laughs> even though i think you can sort of create a brand i think about like shell silverstein all the time like he was a successful guy being able to do that like he was a Playboy cartoonist, a children's book writer, a songwriter in Nashville, a pretty prominent. I did not know that. And I mean, he did all of these different things. Oh, yeah. And it didn't limit, like he wasn't limited and he wasn't pigeonholed. We may think of him as one thing, but man, he did a lot of stuff. And I think that's becoming more and more the artist's way. You know, I think there are more people. Yeah, they're much more. That's more the way to go as well nowadays. Well, and I was going to ask you also, just because you were in the in the community, artist inclusive. Do you think something like that? Do you feel like that's kind of a fellowship group that you can, or it's going to help your motivation to check in and to have some kind of a community? 
Absolutely. And community is so important, especially in somebody like my situation where I do work solo, that it can be hard to find those places where there are meeting places for other creatives. So having a space like that where Daniel will ask, what's your challenge for this week or what are you working on right now? And it's great to be able to have a platform where people can comment or look at it or, or just if you need input or whatever, if it, even if it's just likes. <laughs> it's like, well, oh, somebody liked it. I feel better about today. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, that's good to hear. Yeah, totally. Well, we we love having you there. Oh, well, thanks. And it's great. It's great for me just because I think we all have our built in support groups, like folks that are maybe biased because they know us and, you know, they like what we do or and it's one thing to sort of get those opinions. But it's it's another to like have creative eyes, other people who are in the creative world, take a look at stuff and, and put give their input, too. Yeah. And it's it's cool when a stranger shows up and likes something that you do. It's 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 always interesting yeah. when that happens. Yeah, feels good. Yeah, yeah. and from all Absolutely. different disciplines in the arts, it's it's fun to share from music to puppetry to acting and producing. Yeah, well, I'm gonna not gonna not gonna delay you any further. With you have your instrument there, I'm ready for a yeah, concert. All, all right, awesome. Yeah. Sure. Right. Uh, so this is uh, this five string banjo. This I'm gonna play a little tune that I wrote. Uh, this is called uh, Turn Up Town, Turn Around. Obviously, I've known David for a long time, but as I joined into the conversation, it seems like you guys were fast friends. So what was one of the big takeaways that you got from David? Because I know there was a lot in there. Yeah. Yeah. So when you came into the room, he and I had been, we connected on, you know, he knew a couple of guys that had worked in Iceland on this show called Lazy Town. And I said, oh, I, I went to Japan with a guy who created that. We were, you know, competing in aerobics together separately but together you know on the same same competition anyway so that was kind of a fun little intro that he and i had before you came on and then i don't know he's just he's a storyteller at heart you know he's practicing this really interesting art form of storytelling that i have no idea about i've never talked to a puppeteers i have like one act actress friend too who and who really is has done some puppet work 
See, I don't even know how to talk about it, you know? Yeah, I don't know what the canon word for puppeteering or puppet work is, puppetry arts. Yeah, it's interesting because like here in Atlanta, like I've, I've, I know a lot of puppeteers and like I'm kind of, I'm not in the community per, per se, but it's interesting because it is, I guess, more commonplace. You know, we do have the Center for Puppetry Arts and encountered a lot of folks who do that work. And they're, they're, they're a different breed of performer and a different breed of educator. And it's, it's just really cool to see how creative and how mysterious it can be. I really love what he had to say about the chicken or egg question around creating a character. Yeah. I was very curious about that. And I loved that, how that building and, and he, yeah, he's, he's a puppeteer and a builder. So he, also builds them and and when we were talking about the it's kind of like writing in a way like the character will just come to life on his own yeah in a way exactly when you're developing a story when you start writing as a character and thinking about what they would say it it evolves yeah totally and then you know on a little bit more of a, a serious note he's another artist talking about survival mechanism during the lockdown and the pandemic and he challenged himself to create a new doll or puppet every day and created this kind of YouTube show. And I actually checked it out this morning. It's pretty cool. And yeah, there's one yeah. that is only 13 seconds or something. Yeah, I love, we'll put some links to the to this in the show notes, but one of my favorite characters is Chubbly. Did you see any of the Chubbly videos? No, I saw the Unfortunate Singer and then some oh, of the Dowlings. Oh, that one. Oh, the Unfortunate Singer is great. I love that yeah. one. And then I saw some of the Dowlings and they're like two characters there playing instrument. I mean, it's just wild. I don't, I don't understand how, how all this is done. Yeah. It was just really fascinating. And another thing that because he was so jolly and we had fun with him, he also talked about that is maybe a little more of a serious note that he finds himself, it's harder to be inspired with age in a way. And he kind of censors himself more, is less spontaneous in a way. He talked about that. So I wanted to ask you, what did that connect with you in any way to you? I think that's an interesting question. I think for me, I definitely think I censor myself more in certain situations as I age. And I think that's just a self-awareness thing. I don't think that it's necessarily a lack of inspiration. Honestly, I find myself being more inspired as I get older. I, I just find things to be sort of strange and unnerving and exciting i don't know but maybe that's maybe that's my own my own mental health my own karma i don't know but but you know i I love that you said that i feel the same way speaking of mental health i really love that david spoke up about the value of like seeing a therapist you know because Mm -hmm. you know the pandemic has been hard on everybody and but beyond that sometimes being a creative person and having your identity attached to your creativity really can do a number, especially when you're riding those waves of success and difficulty. And so yeah. taking good care of one's mental health, I think, is a conversation that that needs to be had. And I'm glad that he broached the topic. Agreed. Yeah, that's so valid. Absolutely. What a guy. What a guy indeed. And that <laughs> banjo outro, man, he's a he is a talented cat. The Artist Inclusive Podcast is brought to you by the Artist Inclusive Facebook group and artistinclusive.com. Learn more about Artist Inclusive at our website or join our free Facebook group. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, please consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts and share this message with somebody that you think would enjoy this podcast. This is how you're able to reach more engaged and impactful artists just like you.